enterprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the focal focal point of my team. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show was presented by Prevenex, the supplement brand that I know and trust and have trusted for a long time now. I make sure I take two of these supplements every single day. I have more than that, but I always make sure I take the Joint Health Plus and I make sure I take their multivitamin every single day. I know it works because I've tried it. And, you know, for a long time, I didn't do supplements. And then for a few months, I tried their supplements and I noticed the difference right away. So make sure you try it out too. Go to Prevenex.com and use code RUNNER15 to save 15%. On your first order, that's Prevenex.com. Today's episode was Stephanie Bruce. Man, I'll tell you what, it was just an absolute honor to have her on the show. Like every professional runner right now, she's not doing a whole lot from a running perspective. She's obviously training hard and continuing to do that because, hey, this is her job. But at the same time, in this episode, we talk a lot about the other part of her job, mainly handling and working with media, not only you know, people like myself and doing podcasts, but creating her own. This is something over the last four years she has not only done really well with, but really embraced that side of it. So we touched on this for a long time. This was not exactly where I thought this interview was going to go, but we basically spent the first half an hour talking about that part of her job, the things that she's taking from it, the interactions she's had, how it's motivated her in certain ways, the ways she tries to engage with community and create a new community. Also, the two different, um, I guess, audiences she has. And there's some overlap here. Not only is she one of the best runners in the world, but she connects with so many mother runners on a lot of different levels. So she has these two disparate aspects to her life. And oftentimes they do inter- intercede and, and um, do interact with each other, but sometimes they don't. So we talk a lot about that as well. Lastly, we definitely talk about at least for a little bit, talk about her experience at the Olympic trials and what she's doing now, what she's hoping to do in the future. But shoot, man, the future is so up in the air right now. So there's not a lot that people can say, especially with any definitiveness. So we don't talk a lot about that because frankly, what can you really say? So uh, with all of that being said, she was a wonderful guest. I am so privileged and honored to have her on the show. And without further ado, Here's my conversation with Stephanie Bruce. Hello, Stephanie, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Matt. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. And while I didn't plan it this way, I have been a huge fan of listening to your Instagram lives every night. I know when we schedule this conversation, those those hadn't started yet, but this has been a great window into your own, you know, your own audio and video production. I got to ask, how, how did that start and what was the impetus to, to kind of keep it going on such a consistent and almost nightly basis? Well, I mean, obviously with everything going on right now, I think you kind of have two choices if you're in a situation where you're fortunate to be healthy enough and the worst thing you have to do is quarantine and stay home. I just am a huge believer and still like remaining active, being productive, producing content, um, just kind of like sharing my voice and messages. And I saw a couple people were doing Instagram lives and I thought, okay, wouldn't a cool idea be to try to bring more stories of, let's say, other people outside of myself and maybe that my audience isn't used to, maybe if I brought them on and then it almost was a way for me to just yeah, like share different stories um, across my platform. And then I think the more I was doing it, like the more when you become comfortable speaking in front of a camera, even though like you don't see all the people there. um, That's something that since I do a lot of public speaking events as an athlete, um, I just, you can never be too good at it. Um, And I am nervous sometimes when I'm speaking in front of a group. So this is a way, I guess, to just like practice that, work on the nerves. And then I think the consistency is because people just look forward to it. And I realized that in order for something to either stick or take off successfully, you need to be consistent. And that's kind of been, I guess, my, my entire career that's been like my motto. Like you just have to have a consistent voice and show up for people all the time. Um, so they feel like they're following along. 
Yeah, and it, it also harkens back to something you shared recently of just keep moving forward. I know that you've said that in terms of your running career, but I'm sure it pertains to your other ventures as well. Yeah, I mean, most people who know me know that I'm a huge um, Rocky movie aficionado, and I love all the quotes from those movies. I think there's a lot of like powerful messages that have an overlap into my life of, as an athlete um, and as a mom and a wife and entrepreneur. And yeah, one of my favorite scenes is when Rocky's talking to his 20-year-old son because the son is so concerned with how other people think about him and how this is going to look. And he he says this quote that he says, you know, let me tell you something you already know. Life ain't all sunshine and rainbows. Um, it's a mean and nasty place and it can beat you to your knees if you let it. But life ain't about how hard you can hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward, how much you can take and keep moving forward. Um, and that's how winning is done. And I think that's just so applicable to, yeah, so many avenues of our lives. That's a great quote. Now, is that Rocky Five? That is. Wow. Look at you. Nice. <laughs> that was like, that's like the lost Rocky movie. That's like the one that a lot of people like sweep under the rug. Oh, for sure. But I, I am, like I said, I am a, a diehard fan. And so even though they keep putting them out, uh, like Apollo came out, Creed, sorry, Creed came out. I was like, oh man, Stallone, like you're really losing it, but I love you and I'll follow you <laughs> to your grave. So it's okay. <laughs> I know, right? Like, PEDs in Australian airport be damned. We're, we're still in on the Rocky yes. stories. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. So it's funny that you bring up the nervousness because, like, you know, we can talk about this other. I'll bring up the nervousness later. I'm interested in this part because for years you have been on the other side of this. You, you're the one who's answering the questions. What made you excited to be the one asking the questions? I mean, I think just what you said, I have always been on the receiving end and I always, I guess, had a lot of admiration for people who started podcasts, for people who do broadcasting. And instead of just being someone that either is saying, oh, I wonder if I could do that or it can't be that hard to commentate, you know, like I have a lot of respect for people who put all of those ideas like actually into motion. And so I was like, well, this is a really small opportunity uh, to be able to do that. It doesn't cost any money to do that. I have a phone. I have an Instagram account. Um, why don't I just try it? And I think the experience is something where it would either tell me, hey, maybe I do want to start a podcast one day. Maybe I am curious about going into commentating, but it shows you that there's a lot of research you need to do. There's a lot of planning. Um, yeah. And it's just a way for me to like learn a new trade because I'm always really curious and open to like learning how people do their different disciplines. And you've embraced the the social media and just media in general and being not only someone who has like in this situation, like, all right, like I ask you if you want to be on the show, you say yes. And like, you know, agreeing to do something like that, but you've also instigated a lot of things and been very proactive in this space. When was the point where you made a decision in your career to, to kind of go along that path from a media perspective while at the same time and concurrently, you know, trying to be the best athlete you could be? I mean, I, I would probably say back in 2016 when, let's see, my oldest son, Riley, was two and my youngest son, Hudson, was six months old. Um, the Olympic marathon trials had just happened. I was not on the starting line because I kind of gave up my dream of, I thought like that was the team that I was going to try to make, um, but then I got pregnant. Uh I guess I hate the word accidentally, but it wasn't, it was unplanned. Um, and so instead of being at that start line, yeah, I pretty much just said, okay, like, let me take a step back and figure out like, what is my new plan? If 2016 isn't going to happen for me, you know, like, do I still have a place in the sport? Like, am I going to get better? Is having two kids really going to, I don't know, uh, not put me off track, but is it going to be the end of my career possibly? Like, would I be able to handle it? And um, I remember doing this one track workout that spring. It was before I was going to run a 10,000 meters. And now Hudson was maybe seven months old. And I did like a 400 
300, 200 workout and I hit splits that I hadn't hit since before I had children. And I was like, wow, like I kind of have a little bit of my speed back um, and I feel really strong doing it. And it was a small workout, but it was like a big moment for me to say, hey, maybe I can still do this at a high level. Um, and we had just gotten new Hoka spikes and I was, I was honestly really proud of myself and I had hope. And then I remember looking down like at my spikes. And instead of seeing my spikes, I actually just saw my belly kind of hanging over my shorts a little bit, or I just saw my like loose saggy skin. And that was just my new normal because I had given birth to two children. But instead of like focusing on how strong I felt immediately, I was like, dang, my stomach doesn't look like it used to look before kids. Um, And I was disappointed in myself because I almost let the feeling of how strong and like confident I felt from that workout, I almost let looking at my stomach like destroy that. And so I honestly just posted it on Instagram. And that's kind of the post that everyone says like blew up. It went viral uh, because I guess I was just like sharing my truth about postpartum body, but being a professional athlete. Yeah. And that really opened up, I think, this new world that I journeyed into. And I haven't looked back since. Yeah, it's been amazing to watch this evolution because, you know, you're able to, you know, become someone who's highly, you know, highly respected and highly admired in two very different areas within the running, you know, within the running space, right? You have your other professionals who admire you and who view you as, you know, a peer and someone who that they hope to beat while at the same time, you know, learn from in a sense because you've been, you know, in this sport for maybe some longer than some of your your current peers and yet at the same time there's the you know the amateur runners the people who you know, who've been on this show or maybe people who listen to this show the dedicated amateur runners uh men and women who look up to you and especially on on the women's side it's almost as if like you've had this like you've taken the mantle of like the patron saint of mother runners right <laughs> who like you know you embrace this sense and as you mentioned in that Instagram post like you you speaking from the heart and taking an honest look at it while at the same time competing at the highest level. And when you see people like yourself, uh, Roberta Groner, uh, who's also a marathoner just like yourself, and you certainly do more things than just run the marathon, uh, you know, someone who's runs a little bit a shorter distance like Sarah Vaughn, folks like that who have been able to do kind of do both at once. What are the keys, or I don't say what are the keys, but what, what's the feedback that you've received from the dedicated amateur runner set that allows you or maybe fuels you to keep going down that path in terms of sharing your your experiences in a way that connects with them? I mean, I think it's just the messages and the emails and the interactions that you get from these people and these these women, especially. Like sometimes I'll be feeling like, oh, what am I doing? Like, it's it's not worth it. Is it actually like changing someone's life? Um, it feels like such a small bubble that we have. But then I will get a message from someone and I'm like, hell yeah. Like they actually said that it is making a huge difference. And so anytime I ever feel like backing down or feeling like I shouldn't be putting my whole heart and like into these efforts, I get another message like that. And I'm like, no, it is worth it. And I have to keep doing it because it does make a difference. Um, and that is really fulfilling to me. Now, when you, when you share things on social media or, you know, within a, in a video series or on a podcast are, you know, you talked a little bit before about how like you're nervous when you, you know, do your Instagram live thing, right? Like that there's a nervous energy there. I'm sure there's nervous energy when you're at the starting line, when you're about to post something that maybe is a little bit more expansive or raw than you normally would. Is that nervousness a good sign? Or does that usually mean that you try to pull back a little bit and maybe be a little bit more introspective before you put that out in the world? It goes both ways. Uh, I think nervousness is a good thing because it means you are trying to be vulnerable and you're trying to like share your true self um, and you're nervous on how that's going to be received. 
but that means like you're invested. That's the same thing with races. You're nervous because you know you've worked so hard and you just want to be able to execute like that race plan and you want to execute the fitness that you know you have. Um, and so those those nerves are a good thing unless, yes, they contribute to the detriment and you're so anxious uh, before a race that you can't even like gather yourself or make smart decisions. And then also the nervousness of before putting something out, you have to make sure that what you're putting out um, is just like from your own voice and your own perspective and not telling someone else how to live their life or being a cruel person or yeah, just sharing things that are negative about people. I think there's a difference of, I would be nervous if I was doing that, but I wouldn't be doing that because that's not the right way to live. So I think the the nerves that I have are a, a good nerve. And yet at the same time, like you're one of the best runners in the world. I mean, you're, you were sixth at the, at the, at the Olympic marathon trials, uh, just, you know, shoot, it feels like a year ago, but it was it not, not it very does. long ago, just a few weeks ago. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. you know, you're, and you're, you're, you're 20 seconds away from making the Olympic team. And then, you know, you're an alternate now and who knows how that will play out a year from now. Um, so you have that other side of you. So you have like the, the part of you that so many people connect with and they say, okay, I, you know, while Stephanie Bruce can run a lot faster than me, I can relate to what she's talking about and we're simpatico on these certain topics. And yet at the same time, like, again, you're one of the best runners in the world. So do you feel like you have to share things uh, on both sides of that? Or what's in terms of your, not that you have a content strategy, but how do you decide what to share and when to share? Because you have these two very different sides that you can talk about. Yeah, I, I think that I I have a, a mix, right? I actually do think a content strategy is important for someone like me. I view myself as a professional athlete. I'm a mom. I am a business owner. Like I'm doing business all the time. And that business doesn't necessarily mean like I'm trying to sell something, but that business is like branding myself and how I'm putting content and sharing like the truth about me. So in that regard, I... I do plan things out, but then of course, some days I will wake up and I'm so fired up about something that I might just like let out a tweet or an Instagram post because that's all I could think about. Um, and so I try to pull back a little bit from that now because I know I can be like a little feisty on some things. And so I now will like, I guess, take a day if something that's like really on my mind and realize, is this going to come out the right way? Or how is this perceived? Um, so I think having a strategy is important, but then also realizing it does take consistency. I have so many people be like, what I say isn't important, or there's one person watching or one person reading. Yeah, I was like that in the beginning too. Like when I started, I don't know, maybe I had 10 followers on Twitter, or maybe I had 100 followers on Instagram. Like everybody starts that way. But when you put out consistent messages and you're showing up for people like all the time and in and out of success and failure, then like I said, those you're taking people along the entire time and they want to hear about everything that's going on, whether it, for me, it's relating to running, whether it's postpartum stories, I think there can be an overlap. And that my goal is to, I want to leave our sport better than when I came. So if I can bring some women who only followed me because of my diastasis recti, but now they're like, oh, wow, what's this professional running? And what's the sport of track and field? You know, then I did my job of trying to like cross those two audiences. Now, your team, Nazalite, is widely recognized as the best in the industry as in terms of sharing their stories from a team perspective. Within that, I think it's inarguable that you and Scott Fauble kind of lead the charge in terms of, you know, lead, you know, in terms of the group saying, all right, like, this is the best way to do it. You guys are on multiple platforms. You are engaging. And at the same time, true to yourselves and true to your personality, so you are currently the model for so many who either within the sport or just people who want to be their own true selves on social media. They look at you in a way like, all right, I want to do what Seth is doing. Do you have somebody that you've looked up to, to in terms of like, all right, like I want to you know, make the most of my personal branding and my own media, but I don't quite know how to do it. Harkening back to 2016, who do you look up to and try to model yourself after? 
I think it's a combination. It's a lot of different people um, because like I have so many different like avenues in my life. You know, I guess I could start with like on the female woman side, Lauren Fleshman is one of my best friends. Like we, you know, started picky bars together, but I have just always looked up to her confidence as a woman, her confidence as a business owner, entrepreneur, and wanting to go out and like get what she thinks she's worth. Um, And so I've gone to her for a lot of advice and she's built this great following of women that are just into like the messages that she shares. Um, And then of course, you know, other women in the sport like Kara Goucher, you know, I like that I was a huge fan of hers like 10 years ago. I remember like watching her race and then I was in the U S championships race with her one time. It was in, uh, think this was when it was in Indiana and it was like before the race and we were all kind of in like a crowd tent and there was no bathroom and she was like oh my gosh I have to go to the bathroom and I remember just being like I have a towel and so I ran over and I totally held the towel so she could like pee in this one grass area and I don't know if she remembers that but I was I finished that and after that happened she went on and made the world team and I finished like 22nd and I was like that was so cool like I held <laughs> that up is a, a towel great story Goucher. oh my gosh that's great <laughs> but then three years ago like we become friends and I go spend the night and I take my son Hudson to her house and I spend the night with her family and she takes me on a run and we have a babysitter watch her son Colt and my son Hudson. And I was like, yeah, now I'm just friends with Kara. So it's just, and she's been a huge role model to like sticking to your voice, no matter like the doubt that creeps in or people that are trying to tear down your message. Um, she stayed true to that. So that's kind of in the running world. And then honestly, in the entrepreneur uh, world, I kind of, have just like really done a deep dive into the internet and a huge guy that I follow is Gary Vaynerchuk. You and me both, Stephanie, you and me both. There you go. Yeah. Ask Gary V. So honestly, everything that he says and writes is truth and gold. And he has been hugely inspirational. Like my poor husband, I'll be like, Oh yeah, Ben, but what Gary said, I'm like, all right, Ben's going to think I'm having like an affair with Gary V online because I bring him up so much. (laughs) So I, I have to watch what I say, but yeah, I think that, and then, you know, just different people like in my life, my mom in ways, uh, my brothers, uh, my stepmom, uh, of course I've had my high school coach, Dave Vansickle. He's been hugely influential my coach, Ben Rosario, um, just seeing what he's done in the professional world of running and how he's like formed this cohesive group and had such a great vision. And then his wife, Jen Rosario, um, has helped me on the tech side of, of everything you need to know about websites and design. So yeah, a lot of people, (laughs) a lot of people. Now the, the idea of being your own you know, your own brand within the running space has been known for a while. And the importance of it has been known, especially because, you know, making your own media within running is so crucial because you can't necessarily rely on on mainstream media to, to publicize the goings on of running, you know, 365 days a year. But now, especially since there are no there are no meets, there are no races, it's more important now than ever. So can you speak a little bit to what people need to understand in terms of like the drawbacks that certain professionals view in terms of, all right, I understand that this is important, but I just don't want to do it because like, obviously not everyone has embraced this side of it the way maybe you have and other women or other men have, but obviously there's, there's a good reason, you know, potentially for that. So what are some of the drawbacks that you've seen even for yourself in terms of, you know, picking up such a heavy load on the media side while still trying to perform at your best. You just have to realize like the game has changed. It's we're not in the running era of 1999 or 2007 or 2010, like 2020 and beyond the presence of social media matters so much to your brand and who you are and companies are seeing that and companies are valuing how much of an influence a social media account and a social media brand has. And I think the people that are too stubborn and think I'll just run super fast times and that's all that matters. 
that makes no sense to me. I mean, businesses are adapting. Businesses are looking at different apps that are coming out. They're looking at different social platforms and you just evolve with the times. So to stay stuck and, and think that doesn't apply to me, I don't like like to. That's like saying, oh, I work in a job uh, that requires me to do A, B, and C, but I don't really like to do C, so I'm not going to do that. Well, you would be fired, you know, in any normal job. But I think sometimes like pro runners have this idea that, well, I'm signed a contract just to produce times and, and run results. But if we don't have people who are invested in the runners, no one's going to come to the track meets, no one's going to line the streets, then sponsors aren't going to want to pay you because we're not going to have audiences, you know, and then NBC coverages and all that trickle down effect. You're not going to have people buying subscriptions uh, to watch us because they don't really know or care about the athlete until we get to the point of NFL. Who knows if we'd ever get that way where people don't really care what those athletes are like. They just like to see the game I think runners just have to realize like you have to do your part and part of the job is being a brand, you know, and like you said with Scott and I, we are totally two different personalities. I am a lot more like raw. I have more feelings that I share and I'm more personal and Scott doesn't share a lot of his personal life, but he's hilarious. He has his burrito mafia. He wrote a fantastic book chronicling, you know, his journey to New York marathon and he's crushed it in his races, but he has a totally different voice than I do. So you have, I think you just have to find like, what is your voice and then just share that consistently. I don't know if I answered the question or if I tangented. (laughs) (laughs) No, that was great because, you know, I think this is the blessing and a curse of an individualized sport, right? Obviously you're on a team, but for all intents and purposes, you know, you are an individual when it comes to your race results, no different than say a tennis player is or a golfer. Um, So, you know, the, the positive side is you can take control of, you know, of your media and exactly how it gets out into the world. The negative is, you know, if you're on a team, that team, or that league can do a lot of heavy lifting for you. So there are some some positives and negatives to each side of that. Correct. And I mean, I think the way Ben said, Ben built the team to, it's like if you come and join NAZ, you already have a platform. All you need to do is build upon that. And so that's like a head start. Um, I think if you're somewhere, and the thing is too, it's only helping you when people are reluctant to share. It's like, that's only helping your market value. And unless you're like, I guess, I guess I just see it different. Like I want to have a running career for a very long time. I never wanted to be someone that was like 35 and I'm like, okay, now what? I have to get a real job and start from scratch because I've been this like one career and not done anything else and made a finite amount of money for so many years. Whereas why can't I be doing multiple things while trying to compete at a high level and also like planning for the future. And so I think that branding for me is planning for the future. Now, some people might be fine ending their running career tomorrow and going into a job. If that's what makes you happy, awesome. But I think you just got to find out like what it is that makes you tick and that will help uh, drive whether you're able to yeah build your own brand through running. Oh, that was a straight Gary V quote there. I loved it. I love how you interspersed that whole thing. That makes you happy. Go for it. Um, so right? I wonder, I had, I, I just had this question ready and you teed it up perfectly was Ben has fostered this idea of, all right, we're sharing everything here at Nazalite and they do a lot in terms of their own sharing within you know him and Jen going out of their way to share what's going on with the team, which means individuals within the team. And yet you, Scott, and everyone else on there in the group have their own idea of how they want to be perceived and what they want to put out in the world. So what's that coordination like? And is there ever any, any friction there? Because obviously you're, you're all looking for the, the same end result. However, you may be taking different and sometimes divergent paths to get there. I mean, I don't think there's friction. I think we all respect each other. And like I said, we respect the messages that everyone's trying to put out and, 
it is all different between us. I would say there's a lot of encouragement. You know, we will have social media and content like meetings on our team. We used to have them kind of when we would have a team meeting once a month and just check in with everyone. Um, But Ben knows some people aren't jazzed about doing it, but he just leaves it in your hands, you know? And I think when it comes up for, um, you know, determining on where you're going or working with your agent and people always want to know what their value is. You can only help yourself, you know, by, I guess, using your platform more. Um, but again, some people are okay just not doing it. And th- that's fine with Ben. You know, he just realizes like, this is what he asks at a bare minimum. And for the most part, everyone on our team does that. So I think it, um, yeah, it never really comes up as like people not jiving. It's more just we do it at a different uh, volume and a different like rate of output, I think. Now, as you were preparing for the, the 2020 marathon trials, obviously it was a whole different world than 2016 when you ran the 10K in terms of just how you were perceived in the running world, not even necessarily amongst your competitors, but just because of all of this push that you've done on the social media side, in terms of just the general public, what was your feelings going into that race, not only in terms of your own expectations, but the feedback you were getting from the people who were rooting for you? Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know. It's like, I knew I wanted to make the team and then I just felt like felt like there was this... Uh, I don't know if I like to use the word army, but my people, my posse of like women and men that just, that wanted me to make it too. But I always remind people like, don't think someone deserves a spot or just because I share stuff on social media that I deserve to be on a team, you know, like five women beat me and they were just five women were better than me on the day and they deserve their spots and they earned their spots on the team. Um, I was more just happy to show up just about the best version of myself and just really see how good I could be. And I think that's been like my message all along. Like I do have these big goals and I want to make an Olympic team, but I also realize there's so much more of like how I got to this starting line that is really important. And then if I ignored that, I would ignore I would be going against all the messages that I'm putting out to people, telling them it's never too late. Like always bet on yourself. You're not too old. You can change who you want to be in an instant, you know, if you make that decision. So I did feel the weight of all the people and all the support behind me. And besides wanting to do it for myself, like you want to do it for your family. I wanted to do it for Ben because he sacrificed and he did so much for me in the buildup and for my kids who knew that mom was always tired and couldn't play with them all the time. And my therapists who do countless hours of work and after hours of work on me, like, and Hoka who gave me a chance after being pregnant twice, you know, like you want to do it and you want to make the team for them. But when you don't, you realize those people aren't now bowing out. They're still like in your ring and in your corner. Um, and they want to see like, what more, what more can you give? And that's kind of why I, I guess I keep coming back and I keep lining up. And when you were there on race day and you look back on the previous, you know, three, four, five months, how well did that lead up come into Atlanta uh, compared to, oh, you know, how you wanted it to go with the understanding of it's never going to be perfect, uh, but how close to perfect did it end up going for you? I mean, it was, it was damn near perfect. Honestly, I, I didn't miss a day of running. Um, There were no big injuries. I mean, obviously I had aches and pains every single day, but that's what massage work and chiropractor work do. Um, They, you know, they get those things before they come serious. And I think just my devotion to sleep and recovery and rest and fueling and nutrition and all the things that we overhauled. Um, yeah, I just, nothing really went wrong. Um, I had some like stomach issues still going on in training, but they were vastly improved from my past. And I didn't get to that point where I had gotten to in many of my previous marathon cycles where I started to have that like tanking feeling. Um, I kind of avoided that for the most part. I would say there were still some things that could have like been pieced together, but 
as far as being healthy and like with a fighting chance, I really had all of that on race day. So when you're in one of those races, and we all know how that marathon played out, it was just almost like a battle of attrition with Molly, with Molly and Alephine, you know, leading out um, with a couple miles to go. When that when that gap forms, and then you and, and Des and Laura and Kellen and so on and so forth are there to try to pick up our right, what what do we do now and 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 you know what do we have left to give. When you're in that moment of self-reflection and you have to make those hard decisions of how much do I have left and how hard can I push, what was that like on that day and how did it compare to other marathons that you'd been in? I think the way that race played out, it was kind of just, we were just waiting for the move and it was very advantageous having trained with Kellen and Alphine that I was like, I know it's going to happen. Like if we're all in it late, I could see Alphine making a move or I could see her reacting very easily. And in a marathon, I've never just been that good at reacting and a big move. My body just like my system, my energy system doesn't buffer that well. So our strategy before, and coach Ben said this, he's like, to make this team or win this race, like you might have to do it from behind because a lot of times if I tried to cover like big moves and races, I'm not able to handle that very long, but I do know how to like charge home at a very, uh, even, but I guess gritty effort. Um, and that's what I did. I just, when the move was made, it was whatever, seven miles to go. And I'm like, this is like too rich for my blood. I can't go with this move. And I think they ran like a 517 and I knew like I couldn't cover that. Um, so I just tried to like cover it the best that I could cover that spread. And then my whole thought was like the race is not over until you cross the finish line. So I kind of just kind of fought every mile and fought for every spot, I guess that last 800 meters, because I knew there was still a chance. Um, and I wanted to believe that to the very end. So I was very confident in my decision. No regrets. I wouldn't change a thing. Um, it just ended up, you know, not being the day that I could get onto the team. <laughs> and Des had talked about when she had when she saw that break and it got to the point of that we're talking about, where you had that self reflection of like, all right, how much, how far into the well am I going to go right now? And she had that moment of like. I had the flu. I don't know if I have it today. And she had, you know, the 25, 30 seconds where she didn't, she wasn't quite sure if she was going to answer the bell uh, to, to go back to our Rocky analogy from earlier in the conversation. Did you ever have that moment during that race? And, and if not, have you had moments like that in the past that you've learned from? I mean, I think you always say that when you're not finishing a race on empty, you think, oh, if I had done this, like when people run their track PRs, like in the 10K and 5K, and they say they negative split it, they go, oh, can you imagine if I went out faster? Yeah, maybe you blow up if you got faster. And so I've never really liked that logic. I know that my last couple marathons, I took risks in the middle where I started to run like New York City in 2018. I ran splits from like 18 to 23 that were like my half marathon pace or PR pace. And then I blew up and my last three miles, like I was crawling in and I knew in this race, like I needed to be running strong the last three miles because the course was already going to eat you up and uh, whatever, chew you up and spit you out. And so I honestly don't have any regrets for this race. Um, all you could say is I wish I was better, <laughs> but that's not really a regret. That's just the reality of, I wasn't as, good as those five other women on the day. Um, yeah. Yeah. And shoot, you ran really well. You were right there just a few seconds off. Obviously you had a, a, a fantastic race afterwards and you're doing the, the postmortems of how the race went and you're looking at, you know, you know all the, the various data and you're talking to you know, your friends about it. When did, when did you realize that Kellen had such a debilitating injury after the fact? I mean, I talked to her like three days later and she was like, oh yeah, I kind of hurt my leg. It wasn't that big of a deal. And you find out afterwards, it's like far bigger of a deal. It's like, I feel like those sorts of things almost never come out. Um, but in terms of like your own, um, reflections after the fact and hearing how other people's races went, what were some of the key things that you took from the race? 
Well, I mean, with Kellen, obviously, like we knew something was bugging her, but we're training again at the highest level. For me, when I heard it, I'm like, oh, her calf was tight, her last workout. It's probably her post-tib, and that's just pulling. And because Kellen is so durable and has stayed healthy for so long, like we never thought bone. Um, and I know like there was some messages that was like, can't believe you would let someone run on a stress factor. We did not know, and there's no way we would have. Like if Kellen knew that – that's just not how we roll. That's not professional for us. You know, we wouldn't have done that. But um, again, that's for us, her and coach Ben to make that call. So when I look at that, sometimes I'm like, dang, Kellen got eighth like on that, which is amazing. And I know that was a big disappointment for her. But I think what Kellen and I both realized too, like, even though we had our own failure and disappointment, like having Alphine win, was like a win for us because our goal was to put someone on the Olympic team and we felt very much part of her success. Um, and that's been so great to like celebrate in that and almost takes away a little bit of, I guess, our disappointment. Um, yeah. And then you just, you hear stories after of what people were going through and like how long they battled. And even though, you know, people like Des, obviously I wanted to beat Des. And then when I see that she gets fourth, I'm like, dang, it would have been so cool if she could have made her third Olympic team. But then you're like, well, whatever, like Molly Seidel made her first. That was awesome. Sally came back after having a baby and, you know, made a team in the marathon. Like that's incredible for her. So you start to, you're like competitive with your own like result and you want to beat people, but then you can also like celebrate this. It's a weird sport. You can like appreciate the success of other people. Yeah. Like you can hold both of those things in your head. Right. That's what mm -hmm. Kellen has said to me, too, is that, that that she came to grips with the fact that she could be disappointed for not reaching her goal and at the same time be overjoyed for Alephine and have and hold both of those ideas in her head at the same time without having them conflict. Correct. So, so much of your professional life is around running, not only your own personal running, but, you know, you're a coach and you have all these ventures uh, that are related to running and with that being the case, after a big race like that, or even now when you know we're in this you know uncharted territory, what do you do personally when you just need a break from this sport? Whew, great question. <laughs> um, I mean, I think like having my children and focusing on them because they know what I do and they love running. They see it all the time, but they don't really know. And so if I can just immerse myself into what they're doing and sometimes simply just like watching them learn each day is the most magnificent thing ever because you forget how we take for granted, like the things that we know where my kids are learning to read right now and we're playing this game, like guess who I'm sure many people are familiar with. Um, and my son is like looking at a name and he is like, his face is so close to this, uh, these letters. And he's like, J A K. Like he's trying to pronounce a name because of what he's seen. And I'm like, yeah, obviously that says Jake, but his little brain is like processing this. And it, it just like pulls me back to realizing like the steps of someone learning something are so like truly phenomenal. Um, my kids just remind me of that and they don't know somebody, they hear us talking about and they're like, what are you guys talking about? And they ask us a question and it makes you realize who you are and it makes me realize what kind of person you want to be because you have to answer all these little humans questions and you're shaping like how they see the world in your own answers. And so I think that is something that really takes like a lot of my energy and I guess distraction away from running. And how old are your kids now? They're four and five, almost, uh, almost six and almost five. Okay, yeah. So mine are my son turned five yesterday, and my daughter's seven. Oh, happy birthday! <laughs> hey, there you go. Uh, and then my daughter uh, is seven; she turns eight in June. And like, I you know, I hear what you're saying. I also have the I also have that exact opposite of feeling of like, oh my gosh, they're like <laughs> repeating my they're repeating oh, me oh, yeah. back to me. And like one of those moments where you're like, oh, I wish I hadn't said that. And now they're not only not only do I wish I hadn't said that, now they're repeating it back to me. Can I go hide somewhere? Oh, obviously. I mean, I didn't say all those things that they're definitely <laughs> like, oh my God, they go, oh my gosh. And I'm like, wow, that must mean I say, oh my gosh. 
<laughs> a lot. So you definitely have to watch what you say as a parent. Oh yeah. My yesterday, my, my daughter dropped on me, daddy, you're yelling at me, which means that's how you want to be treated. <laughs> oh, gosh, <laughs> yep. this is the worst. <laughs> I don't know. They, I, they, I'm sure I'm yelling at her for a good reason, but oh my goodness, this <laughs> just got completely thrown back in my face. They only speak the truth. No, for sure. For sure. Okay. So obviously th- everything is upside down right now in terms of, you know, planning at this point is out the window or to say, you know, plans are, what do they say? Like, planning is important, but, but plans are useless or is something to that effect. When you're looking at the future now with you know with your agent and your husband and you're you know looking at it with Ben as well in terms of, and you know your own inclinations for what you want to do, what are some of the things over the next year or two that you have planned in terms of priorities and goals? Well, uh, it was to try to make the Olympic team on the track, but obviously that's postponed to next year. Um, so right now, I think we are just. You know, we're hopeful, optimistic that fall races might resume. If that's the case, uh, there's a fall marathon that I would be racing. Um, if that's not going to happen, obviously we will adapt. But I think we're just gearing training uh, to almost mimic as if there were races. Like we're going to train to get me in 10K shape as if I was racing a 10K this summer. So then we can practice that for what that would look like next year. So it's kind of a good opportunity to try new things or tweak things that might work here or there. Um, Personally, it's working more on my nutrition, trying to figure out some issues that are still going on with my gut. Um, It's focusing on body work. For me right now, that obviously can't see anybody, but I'm lucky that Ben can work with me. Ben does like massage and little chiropractic movements. So we have a table here and he's able to work on me. Um, And then uh, professionally, I think it's just as always like working on piggy bars, working on the expansion of our product line of, you know, creating more of a uh, a loyal fan base and culture with our picky club members. Um, and then I have a couple other ideas that I'm hoping to launch this year, kind of two business plans and I guess, uh, two business ideas, uh, and then figuring out if our adult running camp, uh, Bruce camp is going to take place and kind of planning for that. All right. Last question. Uh, you talked about 2016, um, in this regard and, I've seen some articles around this topic over the last two or three months now that things have been postponed. And that comes down to family planning um, for women's elite runners um, trying to figure out, okay, you know, not only am I trying to, you know, make Olympic teams and world championship teams and, and really excel in my sport, but I also want to start a family while I'm still competing. And what advice have you been giving to uh, some of your fellow runners? Or if you haven't yet, what advice would you give them who maybe had a plan in place and now it's all, you know, being thrown to hell because of everything being postponed and and all the things that we're seeing within the sport? I mean, when I look at kind of, I think the quote maybe you were looking for is, uh, life happens when you're busy making other plans, because that's basically, I thought I was going to have one child and run the 2016 Olympic trials. And then when I was six months postpartum, I got pregnant with Hudson. And at the time I was like, wow, like, this is not what I envisioned. I don't think I can do this. And now I look back and I'm like, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Cause now I have these two beautiful boys who are best friends close in age. And I didn't have to stop my career again, uh, you know, to have more children. Now I want to have more children, but I'll probably wait till I'm retired from running to do that. I, but I would just say for other women who, you know, if it's really a thought in your heart, believe that you can take a break in the middle of your career and have a family and you can get back to running. It might take longer than you think, but for anyone who's thinking about it, I don't think you have to wait till your career is over. I think there's a lot of support out there. I think companies are really becoming a lot more, um, uh, they're just open to that path of women, you know, taking a break from their running career, starting a family and then coming back to compete. And I think companies can still keep paying women. They can see that there is a value once they become a mom, their relatability to the fans. Um, and then obviously if you are unsure, uh, I don't know, (laughs) 
roll the dice. <laughs> like sometimes, it, yeah, it's kind of like, it, yeah, you can plan it, but then you can also just go off instinct. And if you feel like it's the right thing, maybe you had a race plan, but you're like, you know what, I want, I want to try and see if I can get pregnant. And you do just know, like your, your life can take a different path. And that doesn't mean it's the wrong path. It just might mean it's not how you envisioned it. Um, but you will find your way, like whatever path you end up on. Stephanie, thank you so much for, you know, this entire conversation. I've always you know, been inspired by your openness and honesty and candor. So thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. Thank you. It was great chatting with you. Stephanie, thank you so much for coming on the show. Also, thanks to Four Sigmatic and Prevenex. I love these guys. I mean, I'll tell you what, Four Sigmatic is one of those things that I never thought that I would like. I remember hearing their first, one of their first ads was on the Rich Roll podcast. I was like, oh my gosh, mushroom coffee? Gross. <laughs> but man, I'll tell you what, I have it every afternoon. I love this stuff and they have more than just coffee. Believe me, you're going to want to try that out. I've already talked about Prevnex so many times and it's because I believe in it so much. They uh, basically, they sponsor every single episode of this podcast. So if you want to help out this show, go check out the sponsors. That's really the best way to do it. Uh Today's episode, obviously, with Stephanie Bruce. Next Monday's episode, little sneak preview, Des Linden. That's right. The woman, Des Linden. We're talking about 2018 Boston Marathon. Tomorrow is Boston Marathon week. There's going to be a whole marathon. Um, a marathon. I know, right? Bad play words. There's going to be a marathon of marathons on NBC tomorrow. Uh, they're going to be showing back to back to back to back Boston marathons, and we're going to de- taking a deep dive into that next week with Des Linden. I'm letting you know right now, because if you're still listening to this episode, you're a diehard man, and you should know about this stuff. So thank you so much for listening, and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.